Hello. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Welcome to the Team podcast, where we seek to learn more about the many roles of different members of the interprofessional medical team, gain a better understanding of their unique perspectives, and explore possible avenues for improved collaboration towards high-quality, patient-centered care. Uh, Joining us today, we have uh, Megan Downing. She is a native Virginian completing a second year chaplaincy residency at the Johns Hopkins East Baltimore campus. She's passionate about spiritual and emotional wellness and patient care and, uh, quote, bearing witness to the needs, experiences, and narratives of those she's encounters in the hospital setting. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. So I think a question that struck me initially when I was um, learning more about your bio was uh, the term bearing witness. And what does that mean to you? um, And what does that mean in the hospital setting? Thank you for that. Um, In general, I anticipate that when I'm encountering a patient, that my role is to bear witness to be not just an observer, but to join them in whatever moment they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Personally, I understand this um, into my own practice of spiritual care, that um, I'm seeing every moment as significant. There's nothing that they share that's too insignificant or too shocking. Um, every experience is sacred, regardless what we talk about, regardless what care I provide, um, and whatever they are experiencing in that moment, it is crucial to how they are experiencing their hospitalization and what what their needs might be spiritually or emotionally. Okay, great. That's really helpful for perspective. Um, Do you feel like this is something that you've come to in your practice or something that you really had a a mindset of in the beginning? You know, I think um, being drawn to chaplaincy, I guess I've been uh, on this path since about 2019. Um, I do think there's like a level of empathy that perhaps I feel like I have naturally. I tend to think I'm a pretty empathetic person, (laughs) but I think um, my experiences, particularly being in two hospitals that have uh, been very intentional about interfaith and intercultural um, Mm -hmm. support for patients, that has definitely been the experience through which I've refined and um, honed my approach. So I'll be honest with you, there are so many times people hear the word chaplain and they yeah. think oh, that's who we call when we're dealing with end of life care mm. or if a patient wants something explicitly religious. Right. And while chaplains serve in those arenas, mm-hmm. um, particularly at Hopkins, you'll notice that we're not called religious ministry. We're referred to as the spiritual care department or chaplaincy yes. and spiritual care. And the idea is that we want to have like a broader approach and understanding how spirituality functions. So Mm -hmm. spirituality means a variety of things to different people. And it's important to make space for that. There are those religious needs that where you need um, a specific faith community leader to provide a specific thing. But there's also spirituality in the form of just having reflection, their spirituality and understanding what gives this person a sense of value, belonging, how do they determine what is beautiful, um, what gives them meaning. And so um, mm-hmm. I definitely feel being in my, my experiences thus far and working in hospitals that have placed a value in this broad and inclusive reach for spiritual care um, has been what has helped me refine how I um, encounter patients. Yeah, 
I think we'll we'll circle back on that in a minute about the role of the chaplaincy, especially in an institution mm-hmm. as large as Hopkins. But I'll take a step back and bring us to sort of your path to becoming a chaplain. You said that um, the most recent has been around 2019, but were there really formative experiences or things that really compelled you to this path? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so personally, I arrived to seminary with hopes of being a youth minister in my mm. Christian faith tradition. And I will just say for anyone who um, doesn't know your chaplain, regardless of the faith tradition or religion, um, there has to be some type of master's level component. So mm. many individuals might have a master's of divinity such as I have, or those that might have a master of religious arts. There's different ways to um, go about it. But um, I would say that at first I was very much interested in vocational ministry that would have put me in um, a traditional church setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I arrived at Divinity School, it was kind of for me that my eyes opened to like how there's like a broad um, opportunity of how I could experience what I perceived to be my call. And um, I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to um, advocate and to a certain extent, mm-hmm. and um, and I knew that I wanted to utilize the tenets of my faith in a way that would be helpful and meaningful um, for others. Yeah. And so to fast forward, uh, when I found myself in 2019, I was at a, a level three hospital. It was a community hospital that mm-hmm. had like two hallways. And I was also at um, a nursing home. Yeah. And I spent a couple of months there. That's what we do, like the entry level internship. And I The next thing for me, I did a first year residency. Um, I will say that it's not required to do two residencies, just my personal path. I wanted um, an additional one explicitly because my first residency was at a level two hospital and Mm -hmm. I was just kind of limited to some of the things I was exposed to, but it was a great experience. Um, And I will say that another thing that's been so interesting is that with the exception of 2019, all of my chaplaincy training experiences have been in the age of COVID. And so that's definitely um, been an interesting component, such a a whirlwind, if you will, as all of us have had to adjust and understand what it means to be in the hospital and to be at bedside and to engage patients during the pandemic, but um, been such a rewarding and uh, definitely an educational experience nonetheless. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I know that it seems like all the medical professionals have to really become um, very innovative in how they practice their craft. Um, do you feel like there are specific examples of, of times where you had to sort of think outside the box or engage patients in a different way during the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, not only patients, I will also say the staff as well, mm. but particularly for the patients, like I know, um, and actually the Hopkins Spiritual Care Department, if anyone's interested, there is like a um, there's like this qualitative project they did where they were just kind of collecting the stories of patients throughout a time period that's available on our site. But um, I know my own experience, like especially like pre-vaccine, like 2021 in a level one hospital, uh, when we had PPE shortages and all these things going yeah. on, um, there was definitely times where it's like, hey, this person, the family obviously can't be bedside but they want this person to hear like a certain scripture or poem. Mm. And so um, if it was a time where I could not go bedside, like early, early, like I'm talking like June, 2021, we would use like digital means. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember thinking like, this feels so impersonal. And I almost felt like 
you know, just, I mean, you know, it, it was just such, you're feeling so torn because it's like, I have to consider the safety protocols and things like that. But yeah. it's like this person who, you know, just has so many things going on medically. And then the, 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 you compound that with being isolated. Um, so I remember those experiences. I remember being scared myself, <laughs> just yeah. kind of like what is happening. Um, but definitely. but definitely, I believe it was you know, God's grace that allowed me to power through. And um, I'm so glad that I did. Um, I will say in this experience in terms of caring for staff, mm-hmm. recognizing that, um, you know, our medical team members, like for them to just be like consistently day in and day out on the front lines, yeah. everything that's happened, um, definitely you know, I don't want to make it presented as if as chaplains were like, hey, come talk to us. No, but I think just being, having a heightened awareness and a sensitivity, mm-hmm. like if you would like to, you know, um, decompress in any way here, I think for me, um, in one of my particular units, it's not necessarily been like, hey, let's have a meeting and talk about our feelings, mm-hmm. but I might show up to huddle a little more often on this floor. And yeah. uh, there was one particular unit, uh, the nurse manager allowed me to do like a semi-regular email about self-care you mm-hmm. know so there's ways where you're just like hey this is available um if you desire to you know to, to have this and you can always reach out and as um nurses have gotten to know me I've definitely built those relationships another chaplain i know has like a tea once a week mm-hmm. you just trying to have like some things to just kind of hey we're here if there's any way we can be helpful to support you as you continue um definitely want to do that so that's part of the innovation as well and changing for the times yeah certainly i think that's a a really important reminder is that the chaplaincy service is there to support staff as well um i remember i was on my rotation and we had a chaplain came in and talked to us and i was i remember even before the meeting people were like oh is this necessary i don't know we have so many responsibilities but i don't think there was a a single provider who stepped out of there feeling like that was that wasn't something that was rewarding and uh, meaningful to them to take a break in the day and really think about their own mental well-being um so i think that's that's a great reminder for us um but yeah, so I think for, for everyone, just to get a refresher, um, do you mind just redefining what what the chaplaincy is and uh, what their role in the medical team, both for patients, for staff is? Absolutely. Um, I want you to know I'm not dodging your question, but I do just want to uplift once more. Yeah. The chaplain means different things to different people. Of course. And so my understanding of... Um, what it means to be the spiritual care provider on a unit is that coming along, not in the event of an emotional emergency, mm-hmm. but to be a part of the interdisciplinary team yeah. and contributing to the patient's care. And obviously my lens is spiritual and emotional, but I appreciate working at an institution such as Hopkins as realizing that that is part of it. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, medical needs and needs yeah. for surgery and all types of interventions. Yeah. I would say that that might be primary, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's like the emotional and spiritual component is also very important. Yes. And so, for example, um, I do not see my job is that every single patient I enter the room, I'm necessarily going to, like, do something religious with. I don't mm-hmm. pray with everyone every day. Yeah. And also, there's not an end-of-life situation every day. Mm-hmm. But the patients that I see every day, my questions may range from, you know, just 
just trying to have a general conversation of like what's going on for you right now. Yeah. But more importantly, is like what is happening for you right now, the piece that I take back to the team, is that affecting how you're experiencing being in the hospital? Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything that's happening outside of the hospital that has you stressed? Yeah. Um, excuse me, are there ways in which you are distrustful of your environment? Because mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things are going to impact um, how you interact in the hospital. You know, yeah. if you're afraid, if you're feeling alone, if you're stressed. And, and you would be surprised. There's so many things um, outside of like, the t- I would say the typical request. Um, I mm-hmm. have experienced personally being paged for someone who was stressed because their pet ran away and they're like, yeah. I have no idea where my pet is and I have to be here. Mm. Sometimes we get called by staff if someone is AMA, excuse me, considering leaving, you know, AMA. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like, maybe you can have a conversation. <laughs> Sometimes we get called um, <clears throat> for patients that if they've had like, a, if they're more agitated, they've had a frustrating day. And if it's not an issue where like, security or like restraints have to be involved sometimes we get called for that mm-hmm. um and then definitely there are sometimes um not just like the grief support for end-of-life scenarios that happen but there are many patients who um they'll have loved ones pass away while they're in the hospital yeah and obviously you know you cannot leave because you're still being cared for mm-hmm. and so just navigating those feelings mm-hmm. um, and then obviously i do not want to overlook there are those those end-of-life care uh, roles. There are times where patients are actively dying and family members are gathering. There's times, um, sometimes uh, families just want like a spiritual presence there just to kind of bring a sense of closure um, to the individual's life. And so, um, and I will also say, although Hopkins has a very diverse spiritual care department, Mm -hmm. we obviously, we do not have like every single faith group represented, but it, it is very diverse, but um, we have community, uh, what we call community religious partnerships. So even if there's not someone who is represented on staff, um, we have someone that we, we definitely call that provides support to patients. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that that's sometimes a reservation of patients um, is the religious mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um, and something that we, at least I, whenever I bring up the chaplaincy, I try to describe it in a way that seems very neutral and, and similar to what you said, that it's it's very much a a broad view of spirituality um, and it's different for each person, but there are support systems available to, to everyone, uh, regardless of their religious beliefs. But I feel like that's something that's difficult for us to communicate to patients due to just the preconceived mm-hmm. notions of what, what a chaplain is. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have any advice on how to best sort of broach the subject of introducing a chaplain to their care um, and what they can really offer to improve um, that way. You're absolutely right. And I think also like from a societal perspective, like religion is one of those things we're almost conditioned not to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so um, I definitely feel it is. it does take um, some intentionality in shaping the offer of a chaplain. Yeah. So I think, for example, um, particularly, I've had the experience, you know, since there's someone who is at the hospital 24-7, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very unique. You know, we have chaplains who someone's going to be in the building with that pager with the jabber um, 24-7. Yeah. And so I think it's a little bit easier, I guess, if someone is distressed, like, hey, we have a chaplain who can come and talk to you and so forth. Those conversations might be easier. But I think... Um, where 
just from my ex- experience, sometimes it can be a struggle when there might be like a cultural perspective mm-hmm. um, around like what ministry should or should not look like. Yeah. And so, for example, I can recall um, a Spanish-speaking family and how I arranged for our priest to come and see them on the following day. You know, mm. whereas our priests are here throughout the week, um, they're not necessarily here overnight, except yeah. for end of life emergencies and we have to call them. And so with that particular individual, they were very open to, to seeing, like, I wanna see a priest, mm. but not necessarily I wanna see a chaplain. Yeah. And for them, like the religious authority is my Catholic priest. And I think in those regards, you respect that. So everyone's not going to be, everyone may not be open to the idea or there's some that might have, like I even have some family members that when I show up, there might be this kind of anxiety that you can just almost see immediately on their face. Why is the chaplain here? Mm. And I interpret that as why is the angel of death here? (laughs) So I just, um, again, there's just so many, so many perspectives, but I, I, would just like to offer i think that the one thing that you know medical providers can always do is just offer you know just to yeah. let, it, let them know it's available and whatever perception the individual is working out of um you know not to use a conversational term but i will that sometimes things it just is what it is you know everyone's not going to yeah. to be open some people may say maybe later um it's definitely going to vary for sure yeah I think offering is always a great first step, regardless of um, what the outcome may be. Um, and, and I will also say that there are some people that have their own religious um, leader, their no, own spiritual leader. And definitely. so, for example, there are some people who are not um, opposed to the idea of a chapel, but it's like, oh, I have my, excuse me, my pastor, my mom, my rabbi, yeah. um, you know, so there's all my priest. So there's so many layers to it. And I, like you said, um, at Hopkins, especially everyone has, because when you're uh, being admitted, which I think is great, everyone has a chance to answer that question. Yes. While I'm here, I would like to see a chaplain. Mm. So everyone has the offer. Yeah. And, um, and of course, as emergencies arise or needs arise, we can be paged at any time. Yeah, certainly. So accessibility is the key. Yeah, for sure. I think that really leads well into our question about um, sort of when to engage the the chaplaincy team and how do we best screen for patients who might benefit from this type of support. I feel like when you're part of a really busy medical team, it's sometimes hard to think about the emotional and spiritual needs of, of patients all the time and knowing sort of what are some good like ways to make sure that we're constantly engaging in that and making sure our care, patients are being cared for in all these ways. Um, so if you have any advice on that. Absolutely. I want to say that um, the medical team, um, from my experience, there seems to be like some very, it seems to be very clear um, how to reach out to a chaplain. But I will right. say I've had the experience um, of a couple of like maybe new residents. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, Hopkins, huge place, teaching right. hospital, oh, of lots course. of people. Yeah. So I want to just offer um the numbers escape me, but for the sake of time, you can always look up um, the on-call chaplain mm-hmm. in Epic, and also there's an on-call for Chorus. So mm-hmm. um, for Epic, as long as someone is logged in, you can always send it that way. And for Jabber, the number should appear as one um, as the chaplain as well. Yeah. But those things they can be found on any unit. But I would say, um, you know, I agree with you. Whereas uh, it can be difficult sometimes to to maybe like assess, but I think maybe like the, um, for, for me, maybe primary indicators might be like if a patient 
seems to be struggling with a new diagnosis, um, if they seem to be withdrawn, if they seem to be isolated and not necessarily having visitors. Um, and I, and obviously, you know, whereas we would say that each, each individual, um, experience is unique so mm-hmm. just because you know this person's effect is one way it, it may not translate yeah. as the same thing for the next person so obviously it is a case-by-case uh, basis but i think sometimes just kind of noticing how is this person responding to their hospitalization is there bad or less positive news that had to be shared with them and do you see that manifesting in a way that appears to be negative um i will say that two things i want to share um, where it may, it, it's always a, you know, a toss up, but it may or may not be helpful to call a chaplain. Mm. Sometimes when a patient is refusing care, mm. I have received referrals, um, or our staff will receive referrals, yeah. but particularly, I remember, um, I can think of several actually, where it's like, Hey, this person, um, does not want to move forward with this. And one thing was like, as kind of insignificant as a type of medication, one thing was an amputation. So a mm. little bit of everything in between yeah. and obviously um as you will know from you know your training you know it's like if a patient has full decision capacity like yeah it doesn't matter what their decision is they have the right to say yes or no Definitely. and so i will say that sometimes if a patient has questions and they want to talk to like a spiritual perspective of course more mm-hmm. than happy to but if the goal is to like hey let's see if the chaplain can come in and you know I don't know, come into this conversation <laughs> and have some swaying power. Yeah. That may or may not be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say that sometimes our patients who are receiving um, care for mental health or um, they're under, you know, psychiatric um, care, it's not always helpful to call the chaplain. But here's the thing. So we, we definitely we have a very wonderful staff chaplain who responds to our Psyche D and mm-hmm. our uh, main floors and mire. Yeah. But I would say, like, there's intentionality about how and when he visits mm-hmm. in his communication with the attending physicians. Um, even sometimes when we experience patients in, like, general medicine or sometimes in the neuro unit that have that altered mental status, sometimes you can have at least what we call on our end i don't know if this is medical medically correct but we call it a hyper religious state where like sometimes patients because of what's going on uh, mentally or neurologically they can have like um what almost seems to be like this like this anxious presence Mm -hmm. where there may and if they are a religious person or spiritual person it may manifest in like incessant talking about religious themes and so i think Perhaps someone might say, well, they're constantly talking about X, Y, and Z, right. call the chat one. Mm. And I just think it just depends on, on the situation yeah. it, that may or may not be helpful. You know, so I've definitely had the experience of community, you know, nursing staff was wonderful. Like, I remember someone called me, can you come and provide X, Y, and Z for this patient? Mm-hmm. They've been talking about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's have a conversation. I looked in the chart. I see that a psychiatrist, you know, I see that a note from, you know, psychiatry. Right what's going on and so it's like oh and then we have a broader conversation and mm-hmm. i'm like well you know what how about i based on what's happening based on what you're sharing how can i come back tomorrow or the day after that like yeah it's not so much that the request is going to be ignored mm-hmm. but let's think about the timing let's think about the best way because i don't want to say anything or my presence to like right. fuel um, any anxiety or anything that won't be helpful 
Yeah, it's so definitely. I say all that to say it definitely, mm-hmm. you know, each one is individual, but, you know, um, to, if there's anything that seems to be impacting how they may or may not be flourishing medically, for sure, anything spiritual, emotional, um, it's very helpful to give us a call. Yeah, no, that's incredibly helpful. Also to get that perspective from uh, from psych because it's really difficult to play that balance between making sure you're doing everything to help the patient, but also not accidentally doing something to feed either delusional thinking or um, sort of help uh, perpetuating that sort of spiraling. Um, so I think that we've gone over a lot of different examples um, just uh, by your wonderful narrative so far of um, of all the different experiences that you've had in the hospital here of, of um, different patient scenarios you've been called. Um, have there been any scenarios where you're like, I wish I had been consulted sooner um, or I, I wish that, you know, I was asked this question? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I want to say that one of the things that's been helpful for me is like those interdisciplinary relationships, um, not only like nursing staff um, or an attending, but um, even unit social worker. Mm-hmm. But I remember um, there was a time where like, I guess, I don't know if I had either been, um, took some time off for to travel or I don't, I can't remember, it's a blur, but I remember <laughs> coming back to um, in the East Baltimore campus, um, one of the Zayed floors. And there was an individual who was um, recovering from a particular like traumatic injury. But as with this individual, like and so many times, I guess the kind of the heavy part that, that we might experience is like, there'll be like personal circumstances on top of what's going on medically. And I think sometimes when I encounter individuals and you know, not to single anyone out, but when I encounter individuals where it's like, hey, I had a really rough week last week, mm. or hey, I was crying and I couldn't stop, yeah. or um, last week, you know, just spilling X, Y, and Z happened, or last week this person died, or, or just sometimes like personal circumstances. Sometimes um, you even encounter individuals who have legal circumstances, and it's like, you know, I didn't know what to do. Mm. Again, it's not necessarily like um, anyone's fault because sometimes patients yeah. don't always reveal their feelings. Of sometimes you, there, there's a variety of reasons, um, things that happen. So this is not in any way to say like, well, someone should have noticed. No, I just think there's so many layers and so many elements that go into play to a hospital experience. Yeah. But I think sometimes I think to myself, um, like, how did I miss that? Or mm-hmm. did I... Um, communicate I think you know it's not so much to like you know browbeat myself but there I think sometimes again that goes into that empathy like you know did I yeah. did I miss something and also quite frankly just Hopkins is a huge place mm-hmm. really there's so many patients you know um and even though there's a chaplain assigned to every unit all of us have like maybe six or seven that we focus on explicitly yeah it is impossible unless you moved into the hospital that, that you would see every single person and stay on top of every single thing. Oh, of course. It's, it's fast moving. Um, and so I think that sometimes um, my my thought process might be like, did this person need spiritual support and did I miss it? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I don't think I worry about that quite as much now. I think I offer myself grace and I think well, everywhere that um, I need to be, I find my path, you know, aligning there. Yeah. And I will also say that 
um, there are many times, because obviously, you know, we, we just like everyone else, we get sick or you take vacation or yeah. you have a couple days off. And so you might miss like, oh, this, this patient story. But I will say one of the things that's been wonderful for me to hear upon coming back, it's like, I'll have a patient say last week was rough, but my nurse was wonderful or last yeah. week was rough, but um, the doctor took time and explained this to me or the doctor held my hand. You know, I mean, just, yeah. so I just want to be all also kind of explain that not to in any way minimize our role as chaplains, but empathy is everyone's responsibility. Yeah. And I do think that um, it's always heartwarming when we know that we're doing it well. Yeah, certainly. Well, it's really powerful to hear that, you know, every member of the medical team is contributing to that, hopefully contributing to that emotional and spiritual wellness for each patient, um, regardless of who is caring for them. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you could, uh, it would be helpful at least for me to take a better look at what a day in your life or a day in a shift would look like. Um, feel free to either do in the hospital, out the hospital, whatever you think is, could be helpful. <laughs> You know, so such a cop-out answer. The days vary for sure. sure. But I will say that um, on a standard day, and also as a resident, there's an educational aspect too. But let's just say on a standard day. Um, For me, many days, I found myself trying to, like in the mornings, um, attend uh, the huddle for the ICU that I'm um, assigned to. And so for me, that was the neurocritical care unit wow. alongside at Three West. Mm-hmm. And so also staff, love them dearly. But um, I found myself trying to make space in the morning to be in that particular huddle. Yeah. And it was helpful for me because many of the patients um, that were either coming there or actually leaving the unit and going to a step-down unit, I'm assigned to those units as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that for our chaplains, we have what we call the admission list, and that's that list. Everyone who's asked to see a chaplain, they will populate there. Mm-hmm. We also have the referral list, mm-hmm. and so um, interestingly enough, referrals that providers place in Epic, we find them in that list. And then also for the person who is carrying the jabber and the, the pager, referrals can populate there as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, on days where there are referrals abounding, um, those requests take precedence, obviously, yeah. because they appear to be more emergent. Um, but I would also say, let's just say if the page happens to be uh, quiet, um, then you would just ra- I just round on my units. Mm-hmm. I will also say, even though we have an amazing staff, um, a diverse staff and a pretty sizable staff, mm-hmm. as we arrive around holidays and as we arrive around, um, you know, different PTO needs and things like that. Yeah, um, it is necessary to be uh, available to cover other units. Mm-hmm. So I will just say, um, like Chaplain Matt Norvell, he covers the Peds Building, Bloomberg, I should say. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, Chaplain Rhonda covers Weinberg. Let's just say for re- for whatever reason they can't be there. Um, if there's a request, an emergent request or need for that floor, then you know we make ourselves available to respond. Yeah. Um, I would say that for in, you know, a morning to an evening shift, like an eight to five, it might be like, for me, I might say like, attend a huddle, you know, kind of gather information, see what needs are there. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of helps me plan my day. Do I have referrals? Take care of those. Do I have anyone on the admin list? Take care of those. And if I don't, um, I could just round on my units or I might assist, like I said, in someone else's floors. Um, 
I would think also with chaplaincy, I think one of the things that I appreciate is that if there aren't any emergent needs, I have the space to follow up because, you know, for example, let's just say if I encounter someone and they've um, endured like a trauma, like whether it be they came from the ED, maybe I met the family in the ED and now they're in an ICU. Um, Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to follow up, um, I think is a great way to build a relationship if the patient of course is open to it. So there are things like that that we do. Um, And also, if you're the one carrying the pager and you're the one responding, I would say that sometimes the calls where you're going to the ED or uh, the, you know, the trauma band, the ED, those are going to be sometimes lengthier calls. It just depends. Mm-hmm. It depends. Um, and then of course, if you have like an end of life situation that depending on the family's needs, that could, that could be um, a lengthier conversation. I will just say um, sometimes it's not necessarily like, rounding in the same sense where we necessarily spend the same amount of time on each floor. Um, I would say, depending the needs for the day or the week, kind of structure how your time is is spent. Ideally, um, on a good week, you know, I try to make sure that all of my assigned floors are covered, but it really just depends on if I have referrals for one floor that are populating, excuse me, every single day, that mm-hmm. takes precedence. Yeah. But um, making ourselves available. And I will say that also, if a chaplain, one thing that's interesting also on evening shifts, on weekend shifts and holiday shifts, there's usually one chaplain mm-hmm. um, who's on campus for all of Hopkins. Yeah. So, um, and so that's, it can be a little daunting, but it, it works yeah. out and you just have to be able to communicate and triage needs as they come in. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I will say is that also the person who's carrying the pager, now that we kind of re-engaged, I guess, some of the previous, um, supportive methods the person who's carrying the pager responds to the codes sometimes medical staff they might look okay this is an intubation only why is the chaplain showing up <laughs> so we when we do get those like alerts we get the ERT pages um we get the darts and we get mm-hmm. the anesthesia only okay. and the idea is I mean the idea is like hey if there's family who is present and would be open to support um not that the staff is gonna you know not be supportive but just like yeah we can step into that role while you handle the medical side of things mm-hmm. and particularly if there's like a code and a patient um you know dies or becomes and if, if it's like a very critical situation and it's difficult just making ourselves available to check in with the staff um yeah often if they're if a if a nurse manager decides to have like a um, um like a time with the staff afterwards to process um, sometimes we'll be invited to that. Many times we'll be invited to that. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of it. And I said, that was the last thing. One more last thing. No, please, please. Um, we also Pearls. respond to emergencies in like Jayhawk. So mm-hmm. the outpatient center, um, oh, wow. and, um, my mind is slipping me the, uh, the place where they go for treatment for like, for the eye doctor. I can't think of the name of the building, but, uh, Oh, Wilmer. Yes, thank you. So if there's like emergency, <laughs> thank you so much. If there's like emergencies in outpatient or in Wilmer, things like that, they'll also respond. Wow, that is 
so much more than I, I could ever imagine that you guys have to be responsible for. So Not just the death angels. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. And I definitely didn't know that about codes because I feel like that's a common question where we're like, oh, why are these people here? What are they doing? Um, so that's right. really helpful to know because especially for families, that can be an incredibly traumatic experience. So having added support there and someone to really guide them through that process when the medical team is, is you know, obviously doing the very important life-saving things as well um, is, is incredibly helpful. But I will tell you, I've also learned to be intentional about my presence during those codes because, mm-hmm. or, or let's just say for those like alerts, um, let's just say if they ask the family member, Hey, we am sorry, we have to intubate so-and-so can you yeah. step out? And if they present it to the family, like this is just, I mean, even though intubation is serious, but it's like, yeah. if they present it as kind of like, this is going to stabilize them. Just give us a few moments. You can come back in mm-hmm. for like the chaplain to show up to the family member. Some, again, if they have that perception of death angel, yeah. <laughs> wait, what does it mean? Yeah. Or somebody can, who called for the chaplain? Yeah. So I think making, I'm, I try to be intentional for those pages um, to ask staff, like, is there family here? Mm-hmm. Would you mind introducing me? Would you mind asking uh, someone who's not in the room, obviously, yeah. would you mind asking them if it's okay if I join them? I've, I've definitely had an experience of where I felt like I kind of contributed contributed to the anxiety of a patient's parent. And um, it was a learning experience. And I'm like, I just want to, so for me, I try to be intentional in shaping. This is a presence for support. I'm not coming with information. No Mm. doctor sent me to you. This is just part of the team response. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, that's really important for maybe any medical professional, like any resident or any nurse or someone who's not directly involved with the code to potentially take on that responsibility and start those conversations to make sure that families don't feel blindsided if that, if, you know, a chaplain shows up, um, and that could be alarming. So I think that really leads well into sort of innovations section of this talk is just, um, We talked a little bit about this, but uh, what do you think are other opportunities that we can better integrate um, the chaplaincy into the medical team um, and facilitate those conversations better and make sure that we're we're working together towards um, improved patient care? Well, you know what? Um, I want to just say I feel that like being invited to family meetings and things like that, that's something that the team does very well. Yeah. Um, Like even sometimes... Um, even if I don't like always talk in the family meetings, but like being there, being available. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the staff is not so much as like, they'll ask the families, but also I know with palliative care, they will request for a chaplain to yeah. be there. And just kind of, again, for that, that visual of this is the team that's supporting you. And I feel like that's, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of innovation, in terms of moving forward, um, I think COVID has changed like so much. It's kind of hard to say. Like, I think there are so many ways that we're thinking about healthcare differently. And I definitely feel chaplaincy is part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like I said, it is such an honor and it is my desire to be in an institution such as Hopkins that values the emotional and spiritual well-being of the patient, seeing it as integral to their, their medical care. And so, and continuing like to be innovative, I do think it just um, over time, just kind of having that expectation, like when I come into the hospital, chaplaincy support will be offered. When I come into this hospital, chaplaincy mm-hmm. support is going to be viewed 
as, um, you know, as similar as um, an, e- I don't want to use the term equal, but as a necessary part of my treatment plan. Yeah. And again, you know, to be offered, the, it's the patient's choice to say yay or nay. But I think mm-hmm. um, in terms of moving forward, in terms of thinking about continuing to have this picture of holistic care for the patients, I, I yeah. do think that's kind of a way forward. Definitely. Um, and with that, I'll just close out with any final thoughts for what you want a future doctor to know or or even doctors who are currently in practice. Um, I, I want to say that, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to, well, number one, be here. But I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to uh, work alongside, you know, the medical team and um, when they do offer the referrals. I think um, if I was going to talk to a future doctor, um, like, like I've already said, I do believe that empathy is our is a responsibility that all of us have and all of us can tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would want a future doctor to know that, again, chaplaincy support is um, available, not necessarily as like a last resort yeah. or in like a kind of rigid um, lane of end-of-life care mm-hmm. or grief support. Um I would definitely want a future doctor to know that. And I would also want a future doctor to, uh, to, to know that, to think about like how, um, I'm thinking about like your earlier question about that assessment piece and about yeah. the fact that when you notice, I, again, obviously there's something, especially patients who are critically ill that come to Hopkins, mm. obviously taking care and treating the, the medical side of things yeah. is, is so important. Um, but I also think I would want a future doctor to, um, I would encourage them perhaps as best you can mm. um, to have your ears peeled for what a, per- a patient is saying and what they're not saying, yeah. to be attuned to silence, mm. to be attuned for, you know, even like subtle changes, like nuances that may um, express so this patient perhaps if they're more talkative now they're less talkative yeah. if you see like certain um, changes in how they might be experiencing um, this hospital situation um, I think I would encourage them to take note of that and maybe think to yourself they might need a chaplain <laughs> 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 um, but I think um, yeah to, to, to think broadly about chaplains to not just wait for um, religious themes, but and, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I feel this very much in my experience in this year at Hopkins. I feel like this happens. I feel yeah. that I'm getting these referrals, not just hey, someone wants you to come and pray, but mm-hmm. hey, this person appears withdrawn. Yeah. Hey, this person might need to talk, mm-hmm. and I, I do think the medical team does an awesome job with that. And I would just want to encourage that in a future yeah. future provider. Definitely, I think that's a, a great reminder that. Um, it's important to be engaging chaplaincy at, at multiple steps in the process and to be attuned to some of those subtle changes since they definitely impact how the patient views their experience and probably their response to medical care as well. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Definitely lots of clinical pearls that we've, we've taken out of this conversation. To our listeners, uh, I hope you join us next time for Welcome to the Team. <laughs>